This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen, all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Socks land. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Ah, good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's a little wet outside, but, you know, flowers look nice and everything else. And hopefully there will be some baseball on the south side, maybe even longer than five innings that the White Sox had yesterday against Toronto. Fred Huebner with you for the next two hours. Plenty of baseball talk, including a lot of White Sox discussions. We'll talk Cubs. Jesse Rogers will join us at around 1030. Then there's been so much talk, you know, last month about the the NFL draft, and then you've got the NBA draft with a combine in town and the Bulls getting the seventh selection in the draft lottery. Well, the Major League Baseball draft comes up on June 3rd. We're going to speak with Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. He is going to join us around 11 o'clock. The White Sox have the third pick in that draft, so we will talk to him about the White Sox and the Cubs not till I want to say the 27th selection in the first round of the draft. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the Sox and Cubs organizations, who's going to go in the top of that draft, and if any of these players can help the White Sox right now. Also get into some other things. Finally, finally, a minor league system is going to use the electronic strike zone. Uh, we'll talk about that just watching the games, even over the last couple of days. I mean, I'm watching and listening to games as I'm driving home on uh, Friday and uh, driving around on Saturday. And, you know, you, you hear the announcers say, well, the, what was that? That was, that was a strike. He missed that one. Then uh, it happens constantly. Hopefully, this electronic strike zone will get to Major League Baseball very, very soon. Uh, really good article by Jason Stark from The Athletic about it a little bit earlier this week. So we will uh, talk a little bit about that. Your phone calls welcome. You want to talk some baseball? 312-332-3776. We'll start with, as I said, the White Sox. They are in town. And I know Abdallah and Black earlier, they were talking a lot about the Cubs. We'll get into that. We'll get into the toe tap. We'll get into Chris Bryant, the axe handle bat, and all kinds of things. But let's go first to the White Sox because the White Sox are in a situation right now where I'm not sure what Sox fans think about them right now. It's the third year of this rebuild for the White Sox and Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and company and Ricky Renteria. Right now, the White Sox find themselves in third place in the American League Central behind the high-flying Minnesota Twins. The Twins are the, let's see, second. They have the second best record in all of baseball behind only the Houston Astros. The Astros are 31-15 and 15 with a 674 winning percentage. The Twins have a 667 winning percentage. Higher than anybody in the National League. They're the second best team in all of baseball. 
So right now, they lead the Central over the Indians, who are five and a half back. And the White Sox are in third. They are eight and a half games back. They are just two games under the 500 mark. It seems like every time the White Sox get to this point, every time the White Sox get to within two games of 500, bad things happen. They fall three or four or five games back. And then they struggle to get back, and this is about the kind of team I, that I was thinking we would see this year. But I want to get your thoughts on what you think is going on this year with this White Sox team. It's interesting because you've got guys like Lori Garcia. You bring up guys like Ryan Cordell, and you bring up people like Charlie Tillson, who's healthy and has shown that he could actually hit the ball, get on base, play the outfield. Uh, Nicky Delmonico is still struggling with what he's been doing. Uh, Jose Rondon can play pretty much anywhere. But then you have seasons like what you're getting from Tim Anderson this year. And you have Yohan Moncada, who has shown that maybe he learned some things in the offseason from last year to this year, changed his swing around, able to hit from both sides of the plate. Uh, Jose Abreu continuing to do what he does, drive runs in. Um, okay, Yonder Alonso with a couple RBIs yesterday. That's nice to see. James McCann, a huge surprise. Most people thought James McCann, just a guy coming over, he's going to help the young pitchers maybe. James McCann's hitting three forty seven right now with four homers and 11 RBIs. He leads the White Sox in average. He leads the White Sox in on-base percentage, and he leads the White Sox in slugging. So it's pretty amazing what he's been doing. Right now, when you look at the uh, Sox slug, it's James McCann, Yohan Moncada, Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu. And that's pretty much what you'd expect to see. We will probably get to see Aloy Jimenez back in a White Sox uniform, not a Charlotte Knights uniform, which he was in last night playing. And you had a chance to see that one if you did, uh, wanted to on NBC Sports Chicago. But you had an opportunity to see that. And he is very comfortable. Seems like he's ready to go. So do not be surprised if when the White Sox finish their game up today and head to Houston, uh, which is going to be tough. A four-game series with the Astros, the hottest team in all of baseball, the best team in the league right now. Uh, the White Sox get to go down there and face guys like Verlander and Cole and everybody else. So, But we could get Eloy Jimenez back. The White Sox could. And then you got the pitching. And what you saw from Lucas Giolito yesterday was very, very nice. Lucas Giolito has been stepping up his game. He's been doing what we thought a guy like Lucas Giolito could do. I'm looking here at his last three games, all victories. He went seven and a third, allowing no runs and three hits. Seven innings, allowing a run on four hits. Yesterday, all he needed to go was five innings. He gets a complete game. They call it a complete game. Uh, five innings. He allowed a run, three hits. He walked two, struck out four. And the White Sox get the win. Lucas Giolito now 5-1. and one, And the rains started coming in the fourth inning. And when I say they started coming, it was pouring. And the White Sox went out in the bottom of the fourth. In the top of the fifth, the White Sox are trying to get the guys out. And there's a play in the field. It's like, okay, make sure you make the play. And then finally, Giolito said, enough of this. I'm going to finish this. One ball and two strikes. He got him. A changeup through the deluge. And the celebration is on in the concourse. Lucas Giolito, the rain man. Yeah, highlights courtesy NBC Sports Chicago. Giolito struck out Billy McKinney. Name sound familiar? We'll talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, 
struck out Billy McKinney, ends at the top of the fifth. Now it's an official game. The rains come. It rains for three hours. Then, sun's out. I'm going, okay, sod father. He'll make sure everything's good. Sun's out. They were expecting a, you know an announcement. And then the announcement is... Game postponed. Condition of the field. Not going to be able to get it ready in time. Uh, we're done. Game's over. White Sox win. Not going to complain about that. If I was there sitting out at two and a half or three hour rain delay, I might have been a little upset. But the White Sox get the win. They hopefully can play today. Uh, sky's a little overcast. Uh, more rain is expected. We'll see if they can get this one in today. Now, the White Sox started the game yesterday. They were going up against a 33-year-old pitcher, Ryan Firebend. He was making his first major league appearance since 2014 with Texas. His first start since 2008 with Seattle. And uh, he was greeted rudely by Larry Garcia. His previous major league experience was 08. It has been a long time and he is greeted rudely. Long fly, deep left, out of here. Welcome back, Ryan. Sincerely, the White Sox. This is the problem with a knuckleballer. Occasionally, they throw a roller. It's very reminiscent to a hanging curveball, and Leary jumps on top for his second home run, and just like that, one to nothing, Sox. Yeah, the White Sox took the lead early. They added a couple runs, as I said, Yonder Alonso with a uh, two-run single, and uh, the White Sox get the win yesterday, a final of 4-1, to one. this after getting shellacked 10-2 to the night before. So the White Sox hoping to wrap up this series today. Um, they won the first game, lost the second, so they'll uh, see what they can do later on today. It's uh, Ronaldo Lopez going against Trent Thornton, a 110 first pitch in that contest. Again, real quickly on Giolito before we get to the calls. 312-332-3776. Lucas Giolito last year. When I say Lucas Giolito was bad last year, that's not that's not even saying enough. He was 10 and 13. That's a poor record. He led all of baseball with 118 earned runs allowed. He led the American League with 90 walks, and if it wasn't for Tyler Chatwood, who walked 95, he probably would have led all of baseball. He had an ERA of 613. The one thing I say so often about pitchers is pitchers are like quarterbacks. Rarely are they going to come to the league and immediately perform. It's going to take them a couple of years. And in pitchers, it takes even a little bit longer because they get to the big leagues with their stuff, and it takes so long to... Stop relying on your stuff and learn how to pitch because in the minor leagues, your stuff can get you by a lot of people. And once you learn to pitch, you become the kind of guy that can stick around. It took Kyle Hendricks a while. It took Greg Maddox a little while. It takes everybody a little while to become the pitcher they are going to be. Lucas Giolito is 24 years old right now. He's had Tommy John, had that way back when, I want to say in high school or early college. So he has been... uh only 24. He'll be 25 in July. Um, it was his first complete his first complete game yesterday. Granted, it was only five innings. I guess he said after the game, you know, I'm not even accepting that one. My first complete game will be when I go nine. He's five and one this year with a 3.35 ERA. And by the way, that complete game, which goes on record, snapped the streak of 382 games 
where the White Sox did not have any complete games. The last one they had was Chris Sale back in 2016. So your thoughts on the White Sox, how you feel about this rebuild again. This is year three. It's funny that people have been critical because it took the north side five years, and you pretty much knew what they were doing, and they were looking for draft picks and everything else, and uh, they made some moves with pitching staffs and things. Now, both sides of town doing it a little bit differently when it comes to the draft and things like that, and we'll get into that a little bit more. By the way, I mentioned... I'll tell you more about Billy McKinney. If you remember, Billy McKinney is a guy that the Cubs actually got in a deal, uh, and he kind of moved on after that. He was in the Addison Russell deal, I want to say. And um, so that's where the name comes in. He also went to, you know, he was with Oakland, he was with the Yankees, he is with the, um, and now he's with Toronto, and uh, may be able to stick around. Again, it takes baseball players a little bit of time. Not everybody is Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, and we'll get into them. But we'll get, we'll get into a Harper a little bit later on. 312-332-3776. We go to Michigan City and Bart, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Bart. Hey, Fred. Good to chime in with you today. How you doing? I'm doing well. What's happening? Uh, yesterday, towards the end of the show you were on with Murph, you made a good comment that I'm interested in and I wanted to chime in with you about is when, like, uh, during uh, midday games where the Sox are playing or teams that don't have real big uh, – fan base, uh, you either said having the upper deck eliminated or closing off. Yeah. Did you mean just close off and not sell upper deck seats, right? Yeah, I I doubt that they're going to, you know, take the upper deck off. That was a little bit of a drastic move on my part. But I would say make all the outfield seats 5 or $10, and I mean all of them, not just three sections in the outfield. All of them would be $10. This way, people that say it's too expensive can get in. And then, yeah, close off the upper deck. I mean, it's done in other sports where they close off the upper deck and they close off sections. Why not do it in baseball and then have those people who want to pay up, sit upstairs, have them sit in the low, you know, higher up in the lower seats downstairs. Makes it more, more Makes more sense and puts more people in the seats. And it's not only the White Sox, Bart. I mean, a lot of teams around baseball, you look at baseball highlights, stadiums all around baseball are, are half-filled. Right, and your, your idea makes a lot of sense. And the Cubs used to do that back in the old days, in the 70s, until school closed. They didn't open the upper decks for the weekday games. They knew they were only going to have... Uh, uh, Ten to twelve thousand, and the Cubs always had uh, twenty one thousand tickets that didn't get sold to the beginning of the game. Now you know, right? Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, an old associate of yours, Dan McNeil, one time said uh, he talks about where he likes sitting in the in the park, three hundred level, one hundred level, two hundred level. He goes, uh, and as his uh, colleague asked him, "You ever go up to the five hundred level?" He goes, "No, I don't go up to the slums." Now, I criticized and called in Danny McNeil for that because I sit up there a lot. I'm a loyal Sox fan. I take for concessions and parking, and I add to team revenue, as 12,000 of us do, when we got to go sit up there. But I like your idea, Fred, and I think you ought to... You and some of your associates ought to keep pushing that maybe to the south side of Chicago. I'll, I'll see if I can get a chance and talk uh, on over to the guys over on the south side. Bart, we appreciate the call. Brooks Boyer probably listening and driving off the road hearing me say that they should charge less for seats and everything else. I just think that if you're not, you know, instead of having them all spread out, make it so it's more of it, more excitement. I, I was at the game on Tuesday when they lost nine to nothing. I've had some bad success. I went to an Irvin Santana game earlier in the year with my brothers. I went with my buddy Larry Griffin to the nine nothing game the other day. 
Um, I get in and Yohan Moncada sitting on the bench. Yeah, the young guy, Yohan Moncada, needs two days off just like Tim Anderson got, but that's a whole nother story. Um, so yeah, th- there's a way to make it a little more interesting and not every team in baseball is going to sell out. You get teams that have big, huge fan bases. The Cubs are great. The Yankees, the Yankees can have 35 to 40,000. It looks empty because they can pack even more than that in that place. I was at a Yankee game a couple years ago with the White Sox and the Yankees, and I'm going, not much of a crowd. They announced 44,000. I'm going, geez, this place is just a, you know, cavernous, huge building. Uh, and obviously for the big games, they sell out. Um, Philadelphia, they're going to, they're going to sell real well now with Bryce Harper until, you know, they don't make things, but right now they're in first place. They're riding high. Things are working out well for them. 312-332-3776. to get into some Cubs stuff from the last couple of days. Last night, Cubs just didn't have it. It wasn't happening last night for the Cubs. Uh, they weren't getting, uh, hits. They only had only four hits in the game. One of them came later in the contest. Bodie was at the plate when the fifth ended and first pitch swinging out into very deep left center and gone. A home run. Soto lost his glove in the bullpen. Thought he had a shot at it. It's a 5-2 game now. David Bodie, who's really struggled in the month of May, hitting only 182 without really any damage, gets a fastball. And I don't even think he gets all of this. I, I don't. I think there's a lot more there. Len Casper, along with uh, Joe Girardi, uh, on the call last night on Fox. And I actually like the stats that he was throwing out there. I know sometimes color commentators just throw things out there, but that was a great stat because we talked yesterday about Bodie and how he's been struggling. Maybe found a hole in his swing, and Bodie with the home run going one for three yesterday. He's now up to uh, just 241. He's been struggling this month. But John Lester, for the first time in a while, didn't have it yesterday. Lester giving up five runs on ten hits. He walked one, struck out three over four and a third. He falls to three and two. The Cubs fall five and two, five to two yesterday. They still have a game and a half lead in the division. The Brewers lost. The Pirates are coming. They're just three games back after they had a nice win, and we'll play some of that in the highlights a little bit later on. But all the talk about uh, yesterday came down to the ninth inning of the contest when uh, strange things happen and there was delays in the game and I'm watching them go, come on, just get this game over with so I can go watch something else. But no, I had to stick around to listen to listen to Joe was complaining and here's why. Sean Doolittle comes in with a 180. He's only allowed runs in three of his 19 appearances. Facing a pinch hitter, Albert Almora Jr. First pitch, strike. Strike thrower, and and I think he gets a little bit of deception because he pauses right when his front leg goes up, it comes down, and it almost stops. And maybe this is what Joe's talking about. And you know why? I think because of Carl Edwards Jr. That's right. And they told him that was an illegal move back in Texas, as you alluded to earlier. But Joe, he he stops, and then he goes again. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The way they described it is exactly what Doolittle was doing. And you can hesitate 
unless your foot hits the ground again. We'll talk more about this with Jesse in just a little bit. But here's Madden about protesting the game. And really, when was the last time you heard a game was protested? You heard that growing up. I'm protesting this game. And you never, things really never seem to come of it. But uh, that's what Madden did the second time. He had to go out and talk to the umpires last night in the ninth inning. And here's Madden talking about that. I mean, that's exactly what Carl was told he can't do. And I was told it's an illegal pitch and he can't do it. So I went up to Sam and I told him that. And he said it's in our judgment. I said, there's no judgment. If he taps the ground, it's an illegal pitch, period. There's no, there's nothing to judge. Uh, you could judge whether he did or not. It's obvious that he did. If you, four of you can't tell that, then there's something absolutely wrong. So that was my argument. And I said, if you guys don't clean it up, I want him to protest the game. So he protested the game. For me, I, I don't know how many he actually did made that were illegal pitches. I don't know how they're going to rule with this, but it's their rule. It's not mine. It's not. It's. It's. I didn't ask for it in the first place. They took it away from Carl. They took it away from Garen, I think, from San Francisco, yeah. from Seattle. Uh, they've taken it away from a couple guys, and um, they seem to be somewhat aware, but not really aware of uh, what had happened. Yeah, they're not 100% sure of what's going on with that situation. So, um, you know, we'll talk more about uh, about this with Jesse. And I know that Doolittle was having some fun with it afterwards, basically saying that they were just trying to throow him off. And, um, you know, it got, let's see here, Doolittle on the manager's complaints. In that moment, he's not trying to do anything but rattle me, and it was kind of tired. Uh, sometimes he has to remind people how smart he is and how much he pays attention to the game. He put his stamp on it for sure. So uh, nice, a little back and forth between Sean Doolittle and uh, the Cubs. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Here's more from Doolittle uh, on if Madden came out to mess with his mechanics and focus. Uh, Doolittle said, that's part of the mind game that he was trying to play, and I get that. I guess I should take it as a compliment that he felt like he had to do that in order to try to throw me off my game in that situation. I'm sorry, let me look at the standings real quick. Uh, Washington Nationals, seven games under 500. Yeah, uh, Sean, just pitch, help your team win some games, and maybe things will happen. I just thought it was kind of comical when he said sometimes uh, Joe has to try to remind people how smart he is and how much he pays attention to the game. You know that that got to Madden. You know that that got to some of the Cubs. It'll be interesting to see how the finale goes later on tonight. Uh, a, a third straight Sunday night baseball game. Uh, people are going to be hoping it's over in time so they can go watch the end of Game of Thrones later on this evening. Uh, but, uh, the last game, the last of a while, but not too long. June 7th, I think it is, has also been moved to a Sunday night, Cubs and Cardinals. So um, they've realized that they get ratings when they get to show the Northsiders on Sunday Night Baseball. They'll be on ESPN tonight, the Sunday Night Baseball crew with Vascursion and uh, Jessica Mendoza and Alex Rodriguez. We come back. Jesse Rogers joins us from D.C. right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. We got Jim Callis talking about the MLB draft. Comes up uh, June 3rd, a couple Mondays from now. We'll talk with him at the top of the hour, 11 o'clock. But right now we go to D.C. The Cubs are wrapping up their series with the Nationals later on this evening. Third straight Sunday that the Cubs play on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. Catch the uh, game getting underway a little after 6 o'clock. And uh, Jesse doesn't have to worry about watching it on TV. He's there. Hello, Jess. Jess, what's going on? 
You got me, Fred? Yep, gotcha. I'm here, pal. I'm sitting on the uh, steps of the Capitol right here in D.C. Is it nice and sunny there? Oh, my God. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. about 80 degrees. Nice and sunny. Quiet because it's a Sunday, obviously, except for me yelling at people that are walking <laughs> by. Uh, but just sitting on the Capitol steps, you know. This is as far as they'll let me to, you know, right. as, far, as close as they'll let me to get to Congress is yeah. outside the, on the steps. Yeah, that. there's absolutely no way. Uh, <laughs> right, right before we went to break at the bottom of the hour for Sports Center, I read some of the quotes for Sean Doolittle. Uh, <laughs> you may or may not have heard him, but let me just read them for the people that may have missed them. This is Doolittle's quotes on uh, Joe Madden, who yesterday went out, protested the game because of the toe tap and everything, and we'll get into it. Doolittle said, in that moment, he's not trying to do anything but rattle me, and it was kind of tired. Sometimes he has to remind people how smart he is and how much he pays attention to the game. He put his stamp on it for sure. That's part of the mind game that he was trying to play, and I get that. I guess I should take it as a compliment that he felt like he had to do it in order to try to throw me off my game in that situation. Now, I'm reading one of your tweets earlier today, and I did not know this, but it wasn't like Madden and the Cubs were watching this and just decided to do this right away. They knew this coming in. Yes, exactly right. Um, they had seen this on tape recently and were actually a little surprised that no one else had brought it up to uh, to the Nats or the umpires or whatever. Of course, it's a, it's a little bit close to home for the Cubs right. because they now sort of famously got called on it in game two of the regular season through Carl Edwards' whole year off, it seems like at this point. So, um, yeah, well, two things about what Doolittle said. Well, a few things, first of all. Uh, we were joking last night that, you know, that's not something someone would say about Jim Riggleman if they wanted to take a shot at him, right? That, like, that's the go-to thing for anybody that wants to take a shot at Madden. He's trying to be smarter than he is. I just think that's interesting that that's kind of the thing people go to. Right. That's fine. The second thing is um, yes and no on the whole rattle thing. Like, of course they're trying to rattle him. Otherwise, they would have, um, you know, kindly picked up the phone three days ago and said, hey, Davey. Um, Doolittle is doing a double tap, so I just wanted to let you know now so you guys could fix it so there's no... So, of course, they're trying to rattle him in the moment, but they're also calling him on something that their own pitcher got called on. So, wouldn't it be, you know, malfeasance if if, if Joe didn't bring it up yeah. and, and Ed, Edwards is sitting in the bullpen wondering, why is this guy doing it and, and I can't and, and we're not calling? So, so it's the right thing to do, but, of course, they were trying to rattle him at the same time you know, maybe try to get him to, to change his motion mid-appearance, which could throw him off a little bit. If if I mean, that part is true, but all of it is true. Uh, you know, he had every right to do it because their own pitcher was told not to do it. Now, here's the thing that's interesting to the league, and, and the umpires are correct. Uh, Holbrook brought up afterwards to a poor reporter that what Edwards did was a little bit more egregious. And if you go back and watch the tape from game two of the season, I mean, Edwards just plants his foot down right. and then throws it. Here, Doolittle is touching the ground. And uh, they either way, it's illegal, but one is just a little bit more egregious. So um, they made a pitcher in Seattle gearing him, you know, uh, after he warmed up out of the bullpen, changed his delivery, uh, and he did. Um, last night, they didn't make him change it. Now, I don't think they're going to win the protest, but either publicly or quietly, they may tell Doolittle, hey, you can't touch a second time. No, now the rule is if you, I mean, like like Kershaw does it, if you bring it down and don't touch the ground and hesitate and then just continue on, you're okay. But it's funny because right after Joe went out there, almost the next pitch, Doolittle's foot touched the ground. 
Yeah, because that's what he's he's doing, or maybe he just well looked like he was trying. Delivery. Yeah, it looked like no, he was I trying not to on a couple times. Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. but that is his delivery right now. It touches the ground. I thought you were going to say he was doing it on purpose to rattle Joe, but no. he continued to do it because the umpire said it was okay to do. So yeah. why should he change? Now again, um, I think the league is going to say this was an on the field judgment call by the umpires. Whether they go back and look at it or not and see if he touched or not, they're going to still say this was a judgment call in the moment. And I, I guess it's not reviewable. What a weird thing to have to review. Exactly. Um, I don't think it's reviewable in the moment, um, but uh, that's what I think the league's going to say. Okay, yeah, maybe he touched, but the, the, the umpires on the field said everything was legal in that moment. So now you lose the protest, but do little, be careful, you can't be doing that. That's what I think is going to happen. We talked yesterday when you uh, you joined me and Murph, uh, Murph and Fred, every Saturday, 9 to noon, um, about Bodie and uh, maybe a hole in his swing and things like that. And I know you didn't hear it, but Joe Girardi, actually, as soon as the homer was hit, he talked about you know something Bodie needed. He'd been struggling the entire month of May and all this kind of stuff. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. And it, it's funny, he didn't even look like he got all of it, but that could be something that could really help this kid as they come back home now after this game tonight maybe so you know i think more important would be just uh, laying off some bad pitches taking a few more walks i don't have the numbers in front of me but his on base was really bad and man i mean look at schwarber he contributes even when he's not hitting by, right. by getting on base via walk david Bodie could take a page out of that book um he's got to continue to lay off the high pitch he, that that's his kryptonite he can go low but he can't go high and the book's out on him um, I just think he has to stay within the strike zone. You know, he's your classic young hitter who had that huge, you know, sort of um, uh, arrival in the majors in a lot of ways because of the Grand Slam, uh, and now has to just – and then, of course, he doesn't play every day, so when he gets in there, he can be a little anxious to want to swing. Can't do that. I mean, that's what Lestel was great at. Even if you're playing once a week, and, of course, he plays more than that, you have to take your walks. Once you start taking walks – a lot of other things fall into place, which is why Kyle Schwarber, to me, is confounding because he has organized his strike zone in a way because he's taking walks. Right. He's still not hitting for a high average. Now, Joe and many hitter hitting coaches will tell you, don't change anything. The hits will come because they will continue to throw you strikes if you take walks. I mean, they, they, they're not going to try. They, they know you won't chase, so they have to come into the zone. So eventually, and I haven't seen uh, Schwarber's BA, you know, BAP or whatever you call it, BAP, 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 BAP whatever right. it is. Yeah, I haven't seen that recently, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's way out of whack. Anyway, the point is, there's nothing good comes from swinging at pitches outside the zone. Nothing good. When I, when Frank Thomas, the argument was, oh, he needs more homers and less walks. I always said, what does that mean? Swing at balls? Right. I, I, I never liked that. So swinging at pitches outside the zone never works, and that's something David Bodie's got to continue to figure out. Uh, before we go to a caller, a caller wanted to ask you a question, but I, we'll get to him in a second. Um, should we. We, should we have been surprised they scored 14 runs on Friday night? Should we be surprised they only scored two yesterday? <laughs> I know that's kind of the uh, <laughs> theme going back a couple of years. I don't know. I mean, look, they got to Scherzer but didn't get to Strasburg. It's not going to be the first time. Right. Uh, but uh, let's watch. Let's watch. I mean, after last season, nothing, nothing, nothing's written in stone, right? I mean, that, I mean, nothing's written in stone ever. Right. But last season was a great example. They were first in a lot of the offensive categories in the first half, and – they dropped to, like, last in the second half. It was incredible. There was no middle ground for them. Um, and, yeah, there was a lot of high-scoring games and low-scoring. Um, I still think that, as Joe would, would say, if you asked him about last year and tried to dig deeper, he'd be like, I, I, it's hard for me to criticize 95 wins. That's what he would say. Sure. It's easy to criticize the last few games 
and the offense in general at the end. But you know what? There's more to a team than offense. So um, obviously they did, did enough right to win 95. I guess my point is you can't I, – I, I said this a lot last year. I don't, I don't think you can analyze the 60-plus wins every team's going to get. You know, I mean, that's my feeling. You lost five to two. That's that. That's going to happen. Um, but I don't disagree if there's this unbelievable pattern of ten runs, two runs, ten runs, two runs, which was it felt like a lot last year. Then that's that's something interesting. And I guess that's what Theo was referencing about you know giving away a game after having a big couple couple games uh, earlier in the series. So I guess I guess I don't know. I guess, I think I need more evidence in general to see if this is going to be an all or nothing offense again. I guess the best thing about that is the number of times you score double digit runs. That's usually a good right, thing. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, we 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 tend to ignore that. Yeah, so, we do. I mean, I guess I guess what's more unusual, scoring the double digit runs or scoring one or two? Sure. I, I, I honestly don't. I honestly don't know. It, it's weird for the same team to have that in them, right? Yeah. Um, the one or two is going to happen at times, but if it happens too much, then you start to examine some some things. I think that's what the Cubs did at the end of last year. What was our process after scoring ten? So let's see, let's see it play out. If they fall off, the, if, the, if the wheels come off again in the second half, then. Then we'll see what something's baked into the process, especially for a manager that usually has his team gelling in the second half. We'll see. Let's go on out to Mundelein and Ed. Ed's got a question for Jesse Rogers. Hey, hey, Ed, what's up? Yeah, good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Hey, Jesse, I got a question for you. I don't know if you noticed at one point when Chatwood was in there, the umpire walked out to the mound and actually brought him a ball, and he said something to him. And Chatwood did not look like he was pleased with what the guy told him. So do you know uh, huh. what was said and why? No, I don't. I, I do remember them talking, but I, I figured it was innocuous. Uh, something sort of like <laughs> It didn't look like it because he, he kind of yeah. looked like whatever it was said did not uh, sit well with Chatwood. So yeah, that's, the, that, that's the beauty of being at home and seeing it close up on your TV. I'm way upstairs, so oh, I, you know, yeah. the press box is pretty high, so I, didn't, I couldn't tell if it was a contentious conversation. But yeah, it's something it I look, could follow up right, on. So. Yeah, I'll follow up on with Chatwood today and, and tweet out an answer. So follow me at ESPN Shy Cubs. There you go. Thanks, Ed. We appreciate the call. Uh, you look at some of the other things. We we talked about uh, Addison Russell yesterday. We talked a lot about Hayward uh, yesterday and the axe handle bat and all the other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to, uh, over the last couple of weeks, the guys about what they how they feel about these three Sunday night games in a row. And now they've added, I think, was it June 7th? The uh, Cubs. June 9th, yeah. June 9th. The Cubs and the yeah. Re- uh, Cardinals, I think, is going right. to be a uh, yeah. Sunday night game. So that's, like, that's going to be like three and five weeks. Or five four and, and seven. Over yeah. Five and seven. That's crazy. Because after the ninth, uh, the next week they play in, in Dodger Stadium. Uh, here's the feeling um, on that. If they're at home, and staying at home, they don't care. In fact, they, they would love Friday, Saturday, Sunday night games. I mean, they, you okay. know, most of the time they love night games if you can play them all in a row. They definitely don't like it when they have to travel the next day. The first two Sundays of this little stretch, they were at home. This one, not great because they have to fly back. Now they gain an hour. starts at, uh, an hour earlier than it did last year, and they have to, but they have to play tomorrow night. So anytime you play on a Sunday and then have to travel Sunday night, I mean, nobody loves it. Um, the Dodgers series, obviously, they that sucks because that's a that's a uh, overnight flight. You it's know? a West Coast, yeah, yeah. It's a West Coast overnight flight, so they don't like that at all. There is a day off the next day. Um, I'm going to take the red eye as well, so but I don't have to play. Uh, <laughs> and but they do have the day off. But still, if it was a one o'clock game out there, they'd be home at ten or eleven. Uh, so th- that's the bottom line. They don't love it if they have to travel. They have no problem with it if they're at home and staying at home. So. That's the answer. I can't, I, oh, yeah, St. Louis is a bad one. Yeah. Also, 
because they go west. Now, again, they gain an hour. They go to Denver. So it's that whole thing. It, it, it depends if there's a game the next day, where yeah, they're, they're traveling. Yeah, if, if they're at home, all that stuff. So there's a couple, three times here they're not going to love. Tonight being one, Denver being another, uh, Chicago to Denver, and then L.A. to Chicago. They're not going to like those three. But the first two were okay because they were at home. Okay, so Jess. That's, that's that. When you, when you leave the steps of the Capitol, do me a favor. Don't leave any of your garbage or your coffee cup or anything else. Don't go littering around the Capitol, there, okay? There, there's, a, there's two entrances here. One says visitors. One says members of Congress. Should I just walk in that one and see what happens? <laughs> sure. Why not? You <laughs> know how it is? If you just act confident and don't, like, look around and Always. look shifty, yeah. just walk in there. Just, just uh, you know, uh, aid to Senator Durbin. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh-huh. It's amazing where you can go when you when you just look like you know where you're going. Yeah, actually, the Capitol just is. is wait, is that the? I don't even know. Isn't there a Senate building? I don't even know. You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> you're asking the wrong guy. We'll get someone else there. Yes, yeah. enjoy the night, and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, coming home for coming home for a big series with the Phillies should be fun. Oh man, Darvish versus Arietta tomorrow. Holy cow. Yeah. Get me a ticket so I can scalp it. That's gonna be good stuff. You're gonna have to wait till Tuesday or Wednesday to go uh, you know, renew your acquaintances with uh Jake. Yeah, well, I mean if he sticks it up there, you know what, I'll go over there afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, although I don't think I can miss Darvish. that's a post game you don't want to miss. Sure. Darvish or Arietta. One's gonna be happy, one's gonna be pretty upset. And uh I you know, I, I wrote about I'm going to write about Darvish Arietta tomorrow, obviously. I had a cool. nice little talk with Darvish uh, yesterday. I'm gonna write it up. Uh he certainly is aware of uh, we'll just call all the implications about this matchup, which that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing, right? You yeah. you sort of maybe want your, your guy with his head in the sand, but you also like a guy that's aware of what's going on around him. So we'll see how it plays out. Josh, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you, Fred. Jesse Rogers in the nation's capital taking advantage of being out there. Uh, callers, hang on there. Michael, you got a great point. I'm going to get to you as soon as we take a quick break. Fred, you open there with you. We're going to talk about the baseball, upcoming baseball draft. Top of the hour, Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline will do that and much more. We're here till noon on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. To talk about the upcoming draft. Uh, top of the hour, White Sox with a third pick in the draft as the rebuild continues. Sox with a 110 start this afternoon. Ronaldo Lopez going for the Southsiders. Cubs and Nationals wrap up their series. Kyle Hendricks against Jeremy Hellickson later on tonight. Let's go to the South Side. Michael, thanks for hanging in there. What's going on? Uh, I just wanted to make a point. I don't know. If, um, well, I think it's a pretty good valid point, in my opinion. Out of all the teams, even in the Central, and specifically teams over 500, right? They're the, Cubs are the only team to face the Marlins seven times this year. Okay. Seven times. And what's their record against them? I, I want to say it's six and one, isn't it? Six and one. And uh, if you play that many uh, team that many times, that, that bad, and they got the worst record in Major League Baseball, I'm not mistaken. Uh, since then, that can't build your record up. So basically, you ain't, you ain't all that. If you think of it, if you think about it, if you take out those six those six wins, because a lot of those teams that are fact they haven't they haven't faced the Marlins yet, and really pretty good chance of winning those games if you face the Marlins. Yeah, and you do, and it's funny because if in fact they played those seven games against the Marlins and lost them, it would be something that was talked a lot about. 
And, uh, you know, you're right. We're not talking much about that. I know that the Mets have just been struggling with the Marlins in the series they've had. And New York's about ready to fire their manager because New York is struggling. New York's four games under 500, but they've struggled against the Marlins. So uh, you're right. Winning those games was key, and it's probably something that hasn't been looked at. But the one thing about it, Michael, is you got to win the games that are in front of you. And so, you know, it, did a, it was much better for them that they won them than they lost them. But I understand your point is that some of these other teams that are battling with them probably haven't had uh, the schedule they like that. They haven't had a chance. Milwaukee, St. Louis, they yeah. haven't had a chance. Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll get it, I'm sure. Michael, I appreciate you hanging out. Bring up an interesting point. I hadn't even thought about that. And But the one thing is, like I said, if they would have lost that, we probably would have talked about it, uh, losing the series. You look at the standings right now. Cubs have a game and a half lead over Milwaukee. Pittsburgh is three back. St. Louis is three and a half back. Dodgers have a four and a half game lead over Arizona. San Diego six and a half back. Colorado eight and a half back. Phillies are up a game and a half on the Braves. Uh, the Mets are five and a half back. Nationals seven back. Over in the American League, the Astros are unstoppable. And that's where the White Sox go after today. It's not good. Four games in Houston. Um, Astros 31 and 15. The Twins 30 and 15. Five and a half game lead over the Indian Sox or eight and a half back. And the Rays, they regain first place in the AL East as they beat the Yankees. They've been going back and forth. They wrap up their series later on today. Um, the Cubs Phillies probables Monday, you Darvish and Jake Arietta. Tuesday, Jose Quintana and Zach Eflin. Uh, Wednesday, Cole Hamels and Cole Irvin. Cole Irvin, 2-0 with a 270 ERA. And on Thursday, John Lester and Aaron Nola. Nola's 4-0. Uh, going to be some really interesting games on the north side. We come back, we'll talk with Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline, and the upcoming baseball draft here on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores! Sacks win! What a comeback! Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go! There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall! It's gone! This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Oh, welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon, talking a lot of baseball. That's usually what we do on Sundays. Black and Abdallah come in. They talk about the NBA and a lot of other things, NBA playoffs. You can hear them right here on ESPN 1000. But I uh, I want to give as much talk about baseball as possible. And with the Cubs uh, in first in the NL Central and with the White Sox, uh, in year three of their rebuild and uh, just a couple games under 500. That's what we talk about. And when I say rebuild, 
the Cubs a few years back decided that the way to do it, along with the Houston and Kansas Cities, was to, you know, kind of tank or just lose games and get high draft picks. And worked out pretty well for the Cubs, winning a world championship in 2016. Worked out well for the Astros. They got a pretty darn deep squad. Right now they have the best record in Major League Baseball. Well, the draft is coming up, the Major League Baseball draft coming up on June 3rd. Not the thing that we talk a lot about. Uh, here in sports radio because it's not like the NBA draft where you draft a guy and he's playing the next year or the NFL draft, he's a quarterback and next thing you know, he's throwing the ball for your team. These are guys that get drafted, probably spend a couple of years in the minors and then hopefully come up and help your team win. But it's very, very important for all these teams, including the White Sox. And to talk more about the upcoming draft, we bring in a guy that's always on top of it from MLB Pipeline. Jim Callis joins us. Jim, how are you today? I'm doing good, Fred. How are you doing? I'm doing great. What are these last several months like for you? Because this is not like, you know, you flip the TV on and all. There's there's all the guys you need to watch uh, playing college basketball. There's all the guys playing college football. How difficult is this when you're scouting high schools and, uh, you know, the college game and all that kind of stuff? How difficult have these last couple months been for you? Um. I wouldn't say difficult because I enjoy it. I mean, <laughs> this would be pure misery, Fred, if I didn't love the draft. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, I spend a ton of time on the phone talking to area scouts and cross-checkers and scouting directors. And, you know, I, Alan Simpson, when I was at Baseball America, kind of pioneered draft coverage. And I honestly don't know how he did it without the Internet where – if I get a tip on a player, you know, I can Google him. I can find what showcases he was at. I can find all his information. But um, it's a lot of work. Um, I, I will probably spend most of my day today when I, I'm doing this radio show and a couple of podcasts, yeah. writing draft reports for our upcoming Top 200. But, uh, um, you know, it's just kind of business as usual. And, I mean, fortunately, I've been covering this stuff for – 30 years and the draft really in depth for 20 and I still get excited every June to kind of try to figure out who the best players in the country are and the the stars of tomorrow and, and who's going where in the draft. Over the last several years, and we'll get to this year's draft in a second, over the last several years, uh, the White Sox had been excited, and they took guys like Carson Fulmer, and, uh, you know, they took Carlos Rodon, and they've taken other guys like that, and then they were able to get Zach Collins and Dane Dunning in a, you know, from, uh, from somebody else, a bunch of guys that are first rounders, and some of these guys are guys that they're expecting to be part of their, you know, their rebuild, and then their international you know, signings have been a different thing, and then them making trades and bringing over a Giolito and a Moncada and things like that. Um, do you see a lot of teams trying to use this in the future, trying to use everything instead of just one? Is it almost impossible to build a team with just one thing? It is. It really is because you look at their draft picks for like the last, like just, I mean, obviously draft goes beyond the first round, but you look at the first round and they've picked, most of their picks have been very high. You know, Tim Anderson, that one looks really good. And Carlos Rodon, you know, looks promising, but he just got hurt. He's out for a while. I like the Carson Fulmer pick at the time. That one's not looking too hot. You know, next year they had two first round picks. You know, Zach Collins, to me, I just don't think he's a great defensive catcher. I think he's going to be a big leaguer. I don't think he's going to be the everyday catcher they hoped. And Zach Birdie's had a hard time staying healthy. They're two first-rounders. Right. Next year, they take Jake Berger. He blows out his Achilles twice. And I like the Jake Berger pick. And then last year, they took Nick Madrigal, who I like, but it was a tough profile because he's kind of small, and he can really hit and run and play defense. But the question was, how much impact is he going to have with the bat? And so far, the answer is... He hasn't really hit for much power with wood at all. So, 
like if you were just putting all your eggs in the draft basket, while I liked most of those picks at the time, like I, and I was a huge Carson Fulmer fan. I'll yeah. admit, I, I was a huge Carson Fulmer fan. Like those guys aren't all going to work out like they hope. So you really have to do, you know, you, you have to go internationally. I mean, their most exciting prospect right now in the minors is, is Luis Robert. You know, Eloy Jimenez was a trade, but I mean, he was an international guy too. So it shows what's out there. And, and then you know, the trades I think have been the. The biggest key, they've, they've made a lot of astute trades, and a lot of those guys are already in the big leagues. You know, and, and Kopech will come back from injury, and Dunning will come back from injury. Dylan C. I mean, getting Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease uh, for Quintana might be a trade that, that haunts the Cubs for a while, you know, and, yeah. and really fortifies White Sox. So anyway, well, I'll answer your question for but yeah, you, you really have to attack it because, it, it, you know, prospecting, for want of a better term, is just too hard. Like, you can have the best scouts and, and think you've got it, you know, and I don't think anybody thinks they have it figured out, but things can look great, but, but you know, guys, you know, some guys develop like you hope, and some guys don't, and some guys get hurt, so you've, you've really got to click on all silver. Well, I'm going to just so Cub fans know out there, I'm going to ask you about some of the Cubs prospects in a second. But let me get to this year's draft and things like that. But before I get to that, you've mentioned and a lot of people mentioned, and I like to pick too the Carson Fulmer. But how is it that everybody decided Carson Fulmer was probably a better pick than the guy that pitches for the Dodgers right now? I mean, Bueller is unbelievable, and uh, you know, I, I was it just a you know arm problem, potential arm problem, and Fulmer didn't have it at that time. I think I think there, there was a couple things. I mean, they were obviously on the same team. Right. Um, and coming into the year, we had Bueller ranked ahead of Fulmer, and Bueller missed time at the beginning of the year with elbow issues, and was never really right, and his stuff wasn't as crisp, and he wound up having Tommy John surgery like almost immediately after he got drafted. Even though he he pitched in the final game of the season in Game Three of the College World Series. <laughs> um, so I think that played a role in it. And also, with Fulmer, the question wasn't the stuff. It was the delivery and whether it can hold up as a starter and throw enough strikes. And he did that. I mean, those Vanderbilt teams, he won the national titles as a yep. sophomore, and he threw a, a dominant game in the finals, but they, they lost the other two games his junior year. I mean, he outpitched you know, Bueller. He outpitched Tyler B. He was a first-round pick. I mean, he, he was their best guy. Um, and so there was concern about, you know, that there was effort and up-tempo in the delivery, but I, I just thought he made it work. And I'm, you know, I don't think his development was helped where they kind of tried to change his mechanics early in his career. Then he went back to what he was doing and had success in double-A as a starter. You know, they pushed it pretty quickly. Then they bring him to the big leagues as a reliever. Then it's back to the minors right. as a starter. And he was up and down, roles changing. And I don't think that helped, but, but we're also at the point where he's been up and down. He's been in the big leagues enough I mean, not that he's thrown a ton of innings, but it's like 78 innings, I think like 15 starts and 15 relief appearances, where he just hasn't thrown any strikes. And, and you can't make excuses for that. I, I, still think, I still think there's a dominant reliever in there, you know, if he can get straightened out. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you would obviously go back in time and take Bueller, but at the time people were trying to figure out why Bueller was sitting around 80 to 90 miles an hour and, and, and kind of suspected he was hurt. Okay, gotcha. Now, a couple years back, I remember the Orioles with a high draft pick took Matt Weider as a catcher. Now the Orioles have the uh, top pick in this year's draft, and it appears, if un- unless they surprise a lot of people, that they may grab another catcher. Uh, Adley Rutschman from Oregon State looks like the guy that's going to be the first guy called. Correct? He does. He does. He. You know, and it's funny you mentioned Weeders because I mean Rutschman's a switch hitter too, and I go back and forth trying to figure out which of these guys I think was a better prospect at the time, and it, it, it might be Rutschman. But I mean, he's, you know, outside of you know he had a shoulder injury playing football I think in high school. But I mean, not that he ever had surgery. I I don't know what what the knock would be on him. He's a switch hitter. 
He's got, you know, like about a, a almost a 1,400 ops with a, t- you know, he's leading to NCAA Division One in walks. He hits for average. He hits from power, both sides of the plate. Oh, by the way, you know, this isn't one of these guys who you're wondering if he can stay a catcher. I mean, he's got a, a very good arm, good receiving skills, great makeup. You know, he even played a little football at Oregon State early in his career. Uh, you know, had a great year last year as a sophomore, MVP of the College World Series. He's on that, that Oregon State team with Nick Madrigal that, that won the World Series. He's, he's a pretty exciting guy. He, he is the favorite. I mean, you know, something goofy could happen. Um, but I, I do think I agree with you, Fred, that he's the, the favorite to go number one to the Orioles. Okay, now if the Orioles did something out of out of the ordinary, it didn't take him. How how far does he drop? And, and <laughs> I mean, does it, where does he go? I mean, uh, are, are other people looking at other things that can help their organization better, or is this in baseball definitely the best player available that you go out and grab? Yeah, I think he is the best player available, and it's never easy to find catchers. And, you know, there, there, there's six position players who will probably be the first six picks in the draft in some order. And I, this is where we'll get White Sox fans excited, but I'm, I'm going to stress the word if very heavily. <laughs> Listen to the word if, which I don't think is going to happen. But if Adley Rutschman does not go number one, the Royals really, really like Bobby Witt Jr., the son of the former big league pitcher, who's a potential five-tool shortstop. And I think there's a good chance they would still take him number two. So if Adley Rutschman doesn't go number one, my best guess right now would be that he would go number three to the White Sox, which would be a tremendous, <laughs> a tremendous get. I, I don't really think that's going to happen, but I do think if, he, if somehow the Orioles pass on him, I think there's a better chance he goes number three than number two. So there'd be two unhappy people that day, and it would be uh, Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins. They would be upset, probably. Yeah, although, I mean, and I like both those guys, yeah. but realistically to me, Zavala is a backup all the way, and, and, and Zach is probably more of the guy who you, you might have in your starting lineup 120 games, but it might be 40 at catcher, 40 at first, 40 at DH. Gotcha. And you get more out of his bat. So they, they, they might be unhappy, but if they're honest with themselves, I think they both have to say, look, Adelaide Rutschman's a lot better than I am. On MLB.com, and we're talking with Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. MLB.com, you've got your mock draft out there, and the White Sox at, at number three. You had the Orioles taking Rutschman and then Bobby Witt going to the Royals. And you have a kid, a, a high schooler, a shortstop, C.J. Abrams, going to the White Sox. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, coming into the year were like, okay, you know, White Sox keep taking college hitters, and Andrew Vaughn from California is the best hitter in the draft and the Golden Spikes winner, and, and he'd be the obvious guy. But I, I do think the White Sox, you know, if everything's equal and guys are bunched together, which I think they kind of are after Rutschman and Witt, is I think they prefer an up-the-middle guy. And C.J. Abrams, what's nice about him is, like, he, he's a shortstop, but it's not like you're just getting this athletic with athletic dude who can play shortstop but doesn't have offensive potential. I mean, he's one of the faster players in the draft. He can really hit. I think he's one of the more advanced high school hitters in the draft. I don't think he's going to be a big, you know, 20 to 25 home run guy. But he's not just like a little slappy guy. I mean, he's probably a 12 to 15 home run guy. Um, you know, so I, it, it's a really interesting package. You know, I think there were the, the biggest question on him coming into the year was, you know, he's very athletic and he's got enough arm strength, but he wasn't the most fluid shortstop. He's looked better at shortstop this year, so I think you feel better about the chances of him sticking there. If he doesn't, he, he moves to the outfield. And it's, 
kind of what, you, what people are saying about him is really what people were saying about Tim Anderson coming out of the draft okay. and even early in his minor league career. And I'll be the first to admit that if you had put a gun to my head, I would have said, yeah, Tim Anderson probably moves off a shortstop. Um, and, and so it's the same type of thing. And so I, I do think, like, you're, you're feeling even better about C.J. Abrams because you feel even better that he's going to stay at shortstop than you did, you know, maybe when the high school season, season started. And the NBA draft is one of those things where, okay, there's three guys, and then after that, who knows what's going to happen. Is this what you would call a strong baseball draft? Do you even get into strong and weak drafts because it goes so deep? I mean, it's so unlike the other drafts. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at how the top, the you know, like the first, you know, first round or top 50 picks pick, you know, play out. I mean, right. there's always going to be talent and late round guys who kind of surprise us. It's a, it's an okay draft. Like, like it's interesting. On one hand, I mean, it's a good year for college position players, which is usually the hardest thing to find because most of the athletic college guys, or most of the athletic position players get signed out of high school if they show any ability with the bat. So you don't always have a lot of, you know, top-notch college position players. Uh, by the other hand, <laughs> it's the worst group of college pitchers in the first round I can ever remember in 30 years of doing this. There's, like I said, there's going to be six pitchers, I mean, six hitters drafted, high school and co- uh, college off the top. And then there's maybe like five college and junior college pitchers who guys, or guys like, and I think they'd be more mid-first-rounders in a lot of years, and I think because they're so scarce this year, they're going to go off the board like 7-13, to 13, and then we might not see another college pitcher drafted for another 15 or 20 picks. So it's, it's an okay draft. Um, you know, I, I think the college hitters, like I said, are, are better than usual, college position players, but the college pitchers are really weak, and the high school guys are just okay. So it, it's, it's nothing special. I will say the White Sox are in a great I think they're in a good spot to pick, though, because picking a three, they're going to get one of the top, top guys, you know, the consensus top guys right. at the top of the draft. Some years, there's two guys. Some years, you know, there's more. This year, like I said, I mean, Rutschman's kind of the top guy, and then Witt, and then there's three or four other guys. So they're going to get a good player there. And then, you know, the White Sox, like everybody else, need pitching. I do think the second-round college pitchers look better. There's some intriguing guys, and some of them will get probably pushed up a little bit into the end of the first round or the compensation round. But I think picking it at 45 where the White Sox pick, they're going to be in good position to get a college pitcher you know, if that's how their board plays out, without reaching for one, if that makes sense. Like, they'll get a guy who belongs at 45, uh, as opposed to somebody at, at 25 saying, ah, we, we really need a pitcher. Well, well, we'll have to push this college guy up our board. So I, I kind of like where the White Sox are sitting. Well, and it's funny, too, that we, you know, as we take a look at the Cubs, the Cubs pick 27th, and that's obviously the, you know, when you have a good good year and you win 95 games, the odds are you're going to pick further down in the draft. Uh, a team that needs pitching, but, you know, they've drafted pitchers over the last couple of years and they're still waiting on those guys um you know do you, because it's such a weak uh draft for pitchers do you think they just wait and just uh, again grab maybe another really good position player because they haven't worked that hasn't worked out too badly for them no, I think they're smart. Jason McLeod and Matt Dory and those guys are, and Lucas McKnight are smart, and they're going to grab the best available prospect, whoever that is. Now, it's funny, because when I'm working on my mocks, and it's still early, so like I don't know who's going to really be there at 27 for right. sure. The Cubs sure. don't. But like when I'm running names by the Cubs in a mock draft, it's kind of like, hey, like these guys might be available. What do you think? You know, Anybody I should add or subtract or who stands out? And every time I do that, the Cubs are like, any pitchers? Like, any any <laughs> college arms you got for us around there? And it's like, well, no. Yeah. Um, so I think if, they, if everything was equal, they would they, they would take the college arm. But you're right. They've had more success taking hitters. The, the couple years they tried to load up on pitchers, they kind of loaded up on the same guy, which was guys with clean deliveries, who threw a lot of strikes, which is, you know, obviously you, you, you like that. But the guys with 
guys with clean deliveries throw a lot of strikes often, don't have a lot of deception, and they weren't, these weren't a bunch of overpowering guys, so they get hit a little bit. It's kind of higher floor, lower ceiling guys. And then last year, they, they kind of went back to what they've done best, which is draft bats, and Nico Horner looks great. The guy they got, I think, was pick 24 that would probably go in the top 10 if the draft was over, you know, done over today. And then in the second round, they got Cole Roeder and Brennan Davis, some really interesting high school outfielders. So I, I had the Cubs taking Michael Bush, who, who's a, a first baseman outfielder from North Carolina, who's a, a disciplined bat, and, he, and he's got some power. I, I kind of just went that route again. I, I think there'll be a kind of run on college position players in the 20s because they're deep. But, um, yeah, they'll let the draft come to them. If, if if the right pitcher was there, yeah, I think they would take him. But I don't think they're going to like, – like like I was telling you, like like will happen with some teams and why the White Sox won't be tempted because they're in a kind of perfect spot. I don't think the Cubs are going to take a second-round arm in the first round just because they want a pitcher. Okay, and as we let you go, you mentioned – you didn't mention names, but some of the pitchers they took. And I, when they when they drafted Thomas Hatch out of Oklahoma State, I'm going, that's going to be the next guy that comes and helps the rotation. Then they took Alex Lang out of LSU. I said, no, no, that's the guy that's going to come up. Now, both of those guys are still in the system for – I'm pretty sure, but they they haven't quite gotten to their potential. Do you see either one of them as guys that can make it to the big leagues in the next several years? I mean, they will. I mean, because they were college guys, and they will. You know, Hatch. You know, in their defense, you know, Hatch was a third round pick. They didn't have picks in the first two rounds because right. they, they right. took guys who helped them win the college, win the World Series. So nobody's yeah. complaining that they gave up a pick for Ben Zobrist and I think it was Jason Hayward, if I'm remembering the year correctly. You know, Hatch. Hatch has good stuff. Like he, he, he's trying to find this balance between, you know, maybe throwing a little bit harder and losing control, and and then you know not overthrowing, but not having as good as stuff. And he's he's been okay. He's struggling in Double A a little bit. You know, Lang, who who looked so good as a freshman at LSU, and 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 I saw him at the College World Series the year they took him. His stuff has just leveled off, and he's getting torched right now in high class A. His fastball's sitting around 90. The curveball isn't the hammer. You know, they had another first-round pick the year they took Lang. They took a, a junior college lefty named Brendan Little, um, and he hasn't, he hasn't pitched yet this year, and his stuff went backward last year. So, you know, Little was more of that, that stuff over polished guy, and Lang was supposed to have better stuff, but they're, they're, you know, a lot of the pitchers they've taken the early picks. The, the guys with higher ceilings have backed up. And then they have other guys, you know, like Keegan Thompson and Corey Abbott, who are fine, and, and they're having nice years, but they aren't high-ceiling guys. They'd be more, you know, back of the rotation, fourth or fifth starter type of guys. Jim, we've been doing this for a while. I remember several years back when my buddy's son was playing in Notre Dame and got drafted number 26 uh, in the first round by the Yankees, Eric Gigailo out of Notre Dame. He, uh, before going to Arizona Fall League one year, got hit in the face, had to miss time, then blew out his knee, then struggled. And I know this year he just got released by the Marlins minor league system. This is all, I mean, there's of all the sports, baseball and being drafted in baseball is probably the biggest crapshoot and the biggest, you know, gamble on all of these players. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think the, the, the most comparable would probably be hockey. But even in hockey, you'll have guys, 18-year-olds, step right into the NHL. Uh, you know, obviously yeah. the super talented ones. But even a guy like Chigailo, and I like Chigailo too. I, I thought he was going to be pretty good. You know, you're drafting him out of college, so it wasn't like you're drafting him out of high school. Even a guy like that, most of your college guys are, are going to spend at least two years in the minors. So you're, you're, you're not... It's not like the NFL or NBA where you're drafting the guy and you're like, okay, how are we going to plug Mitch Trubisky in? You know, right. or you know, hey, you know, this year, you know, Zion Williamson is going to step right in. We're going to build the team around him. I mean, even like the guy, you know, like if you draft Adley Rutschman at one one, like the Orioles do, then their team's horrible. 
And, and realistically, yeah, he probably would be better than anybody they have on their team right now. He's still going to spend a year and a half in the minors. So, like, you have to project, even with the college guys, and it's even harder with your 18-year-old high schoolers. And, and I'll be frank, I haven't covered that much international stuff. I, we've always had other guys do that where I've been. I, I don't know how you project 15- and 16-year-olds sure. to big leaguers. So, I mean, but you're right. I mean, it's, I, I would say the rule of thumb in the first round is that a third of the players will be pretty good. A third of them will be big leaguers of, of varying degrees of success, but not guys you know, that are, you know, you're going to build your team around. And a third of the guys might not make it to the big leagues. You know, maybe that's a little less now because I do think there is some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where teams find a way to get their first-rounder to the big leagues, even if he's not very good, so at least they can you know, say, hey, he got to the big yeah. leagues. But, but you're right. I mean, uh, there will be 34 first-round picks, and probably 12 of those guys will be pretty good big league players, uh, you know, wind up being pretty good league, big league players uh, you know, after they get picked on, on, in the first round on June 3rd. And Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. Jim, thanks as always. We'll keep watching you on MLB.com. And also, you pop up on uh, MLB Network every once in a while, even more so now with the draft coming up. Oh, yeah. June 3rd and June 4th, I'll be there. You know, the, the first two rounds are easy, Fred. Day two, where we go rounds three through ten, and we literally have to comment on every pick, and there's that's like tough. a pick a minute. Yeah. That, that's, it, it, it's, it's fun, but that, that, that's the grueling day. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be all over MLB Network coming up in the next couple of weeks. I appreciate it as always. Thanks a lot, Jim. Hey, thank you, Fred. Take care. Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline, MLB.com. You can find all of his stuff. We come back. Some great highlights around all the baseball yesterday, not just the Cubs and the Sox game. We'll do it right here. Fred Hubner with you on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Final half hour. Don't forget, we've got the PGA Championship today. We've got basketball as we have Bucks and Raptors and uh, so lots going on today. Don't forget Cubs on ESPN TV tonight as they play the final game of their series with the Nationals third straight Sunday night game with the Cubs on national TV. See if there's any more uh, blowback from the uh, Cubs protesting the game last night because of the toe tap of Sean Doolittle and then Doolittle's comments after the contest. For those who missed it, again, I just get a kick out of them. I think they're interesting. Uh, Doolittle talking about Madden's complaints. He said, in that moment, he's not trying to do anything but rattle me, and it was kind of tired. Sometimes he has to remind people how smart he is and how much he pays attention to the game. He put his stamp on it for sure. So we'll see if there's any uh, blowback from that if, in fact, Doolittle gets back into the game today. Cubs looking for a win before they come home. And I'm looking at the schedule uh, for the Cubs going forward. And I have it right here. As the Cubs come home and they get four straight against Philadelphia, then they've got Cincinnati for three, a little payback after the Reds took two out of three. Then they go to Houston, Memorial Day uh, for a three-game series. Then they have a day off and they go to St. Louis and have a um, three-game series, come home against Colorado, and then back home against St. Louis. Then Colorado and the Dodgers. they got a tough little stretch here, a tough month stretch. Let's see, one, two, three, four. A tough four weeks coming up. And then they got the White Sox. First time they play the White Sox, uh, two-game series at Wrigley Field, June 18th and uh, 19th. But there's baseball and good baseball going on all around the place. And on Sundays, I like to uh, talk about it and let you hear some of the things that are happening. Uh, one guy that's not necessarily having the best season uh, of all 
is a guy that uh, was one of the last guys to sign. He signed the big deal. Bryce Harper with the Philadelphia Phillies. You look really quickly as I'm trying to do as I'm speaking, looking at Bryce Harper's numbers. This year, Harper's got eight homers. Uh, he's hitting two thirty, uh, 28 RBIs. On base is 371, slugging is 460. Not doing exactly what they thought he would do, but yesterday he hit one that might still be going. Out Uh-oh. to center field. Wow. Uh-oh. That was loud, and it is going on oh. to Ashburn Allen. Yes, sir. Over the second wall. It went over Bernie's head in center field. What a shot. That could be one of the longest home runs here at Citizens Bank Park. Wow. And the Phillies take a one nothing lead. Yeah, Bryce Harper hits one long. NBC Sports Philly with the call. Philadelphia gets the win 2-1 to one over the Rockies yesterday. Aaron Nola goes to 4-0. and oh. Nola will go against Lester in the fourth and final game of that series with the Cubs on Thursday at Wrigley Field. We now progress, and this one helped out the Cubs. It was tied at three, the Brewers and the Braves. Bottom of the 10th inning, and Freddie Freeman at the plate against Josh Hader. Pitch. She swings away. It's a high drive to right. Freeman up Hader to win it. Trying to go up. Gets it down just enough. Hader knows it right away. Freeman knows it right away. And game over. Braves win. And as good as Hader has been, that is the fifth home run that he's allowed this season. That's really the only way that teams are getting to him. Yeah, they have been getting to him. Highlights courtesy of Fox with the loss. Uh, The Brewers stay a game and a half back of the Cubs in the NL Central. Uh, the Pirates are just uh, three games behind. We'll talk more about Pittsburgh in uh, just a second. Now, one of the surprise teams in baseball, they get rid of their manager, Paul Molitor. They bring in Rocco Baldelli to be their manager. I'm talking of the Minnesota Twins. And you look at the standings this morning. The second best record in all of baseball, second best, is the Minnesota Twins. They are on top of the American League Central with a 30-15 and 15 record. They have a five-and-a-half game lead over the Indians. The White Sox are eight-and-a-half games back, and it seems that maybe this guy's got it figured out this year. Byron Buxton with the bases loaded. A high drive to left field, way back, and Byron Buxton has hit a grand slam. A 2-0 pitch. Hammered over the wall and left, and it's five to nothing. Yeah, Byron Buxton, you look at him over the last several of several years, and you knew what he could do. He was a high draft pick. Uh came up at twenty one, he hit two oh nine. Twenty two he hit two twenty five. Uh in twenty three. Uh, 253 with a 314 on base. Last year, uh, didn't play much last year because he, he had, he was injured. This year, so far, 42 games, hitting 281, 338 on base. That still doesn't get better. He leads baseball with 18 doubles. And, uh, the Minnesota Twins off to a really, really nice start as they get a win yesterday. Talk about a win easily over the Seattle Mariners final of 18 to 4. No look now, but those Mariners who were at a red, red hot start, they're now at the bottom of the American League West. 22 and 26. We're only about halfway home. This one went a long way, and it was a big one. Number 250 for the guy they call the best player in baseball. And that is launched out to deep left field. Big 
fly for Mike Trout. One nothing Halos. <laughs> 250th career home run for Mike Trout. He's locked in. Watch out if you're a pitcher. That baseball projected home run distance, 473 feet for Trout. 473. That's not too bad for Mike Trout. The uh, Angels go on to a 6-3 win over the Royals. And uh, one of the best teams in baseball, or best players in baseball, without a doubt, but he plays for the Angels, who are a game under five hundred. They're in second in the AL West, eight and a half games back in a game under five hundred. We never really get a chance to see him. Uh, Otani also went deep yesterday, uh, just launched one. And, um, yeah, we don't see them at all. And I, I don't know if that's our problem because we're in the Midwest or, you know, the I flipped it on TV last night and uh, Trout had already homered. I saw the Otani homer before I went to bed before getting up to, to do the show. But we, we continue. Because there's a good race going on in the American League East. The Tampa Bay Rays regain first place in the East as they knock off the Yankees yesterday, a final of two to one. The game was tied at one, and then Austin Meadows, what a deal the Rays made with the Pirates. Austin Meadows at the plate. And there's a shot into right field. That's got Carey gone. Home run for Meadows. And the Rays take the lead 2-1. to one. Certainly sounds like Dwayne Stats from Rays TV as the Rays take the lead 2-1. to one And they go on for the win. They regain first place in the East. Tampa is 27-16. and 16, A half game better than the Yankees. The Red Sox now five games back in that division. Now, I mentioned how I was going to talk more about the Pirates. And people were looking at the NL Central in the offseason and said, man, you know, this NL Central, it's going to be more difficult because the Reds got Puig and Kemp, who they've since released. And uh, they've got a pretty uh, decent young team. And Luis Castillo can pitch. Um, but People figure the Pirates would be the last place team. Well, right now the Reds are at the bottom. They're four under five hundred at six and a half back of the Cubs. Cardinals are in fourth place. The Pittsburgh Pirates have won a couple games in a row. They are three games over the five hundred mark at twenty three and twenty. They're just three games back of the Cubs. One of the big reasons is a guy that came up a couple of years ago. He may even have made his major league debut against the Cubs. I remember him in his rookie year playing against the Cubs. I said, "This guy's huge. Look at that swing." Well. Yesterday, he took the swing and uh, really connected a couple times. Hit well towards center field. Myers is back toward the wall and ring your bell into the beach. Number 13 to dead center. The Pirates lead it one to nothing. I mean, it's unreal how strong this guy is. His muscles it out there. 110 miles an hour again. A bomb. It's got to be a point in the season where Bell... Is intentionally walked in these situations. Yeah. He's hit one 430 off this guy last at bat. There's a fly ball to left field. Going back is Renfro at the wall. He's done it again. Josh Bell rings the bell. A three-run bomb. And it is 5-0. It is his 14th of the year. Josh Bell hitting one, his second one of the game, 14th of the season, AT&T, uh, Sportsnet, uh, Pittsburgh. And yeah, the uh, Pirates, a seven to two win over the Padres in that one. It was funny the way that he was, the, uh, 
color commentator was says, eventually they're going to walk this guy. They just hit one 430 off him last time up, and boom, they hits another one. Uh, Sean, what were, you, what were you asking me really quickly? Was that booze we heard in San Diego? <laughs> it may have been. I mean, been. they've been playing pretty well yeah, they, early in the season. Yeah, Padres are at 500. They're six and a half back of the Dodgers. They have not been playing poorly. Uh, Tatis has been out this for a long yeah, stretch so they, here, too. They've had a recent slide. Of, yeah, of I mean, you know, yeah. they still got some guys that can hit there and uh, some guys that are fun to watch with Hunter Renfro. And, You're the Padres. You know, yeah. Like, you don't have high expectations. Like, what are you booing for? Maybe they were just booing for Josh Bell hitting that second if White one. White Sox get the 500, we might throw a barbecue. <laughs> well, and if that's going to happen. Again, every time they get close, you think about it. Even if they get within a game with a win today, they go to Houston for four games. And you know what? Teams like Houston will mess around and come out with a split. <laughs> well, that's what will happen. And then we'll lose to, like, a bottom feeder the, yeah. the next series. You've got the Astros right now. They've won, was it 10 or 11 in a row now? They've won uh, 10 in a row. And uh, they wrap up their series today, Houston does, as uh, they take on Boston. So, um, you know, that's been a good series and obviously one that a lot of people have had their eye on. So uh, those are some of the highlights around baseball. And every, every Sunday morning, I like to take a look and listen to some of those. There are some great highlights all around the game of baseball. The White Sox had one with Lurie Garcia with the leadoff homer yesterday off the 34-year-old uh, knuckleballer. And the White Sox did something yesterday during the broadcast. And I know all the broadcast and people are criticized. People are critical of the ESPN Sunday night baseball broadcast. You've got to understand that the broadcasting is going is is going in a different direction right now. Okay. A baseball broadcast. And I know people are going to say, well, hold it. You don't like the Sox broadcast. I'm not a huge fan of it because I don't like trying to be funny. I like doing the game, but I don't need you to tell me there's a ground ball to second. I need you to get into stats, why things are happening, stuff like that. Yesterday, the White Sox broadcast brought on former White Sox knuckleballer Wilbur Wood, which I thought was great, really cool. But you know what you do? Bring it on when the other team's hitting. Wilbur Wood was on when the White Sox were up. And when the White Sox were up in that inning, the White Sox scored twice. They were, uh, it was tied at one. The White Sox ended up taking a 3-1 lead in that inning. And Wilberwood had some great stuff, talked about who taught him the uh, knuckleball. I remember Wilberwood pitching for the White Sox. One year he went 24-20. and 20. Uh, I've got a Wilberwood bat, believe it or not, in my basement. Um, I was a huge fan. He pitched when the White Sox had the red pitch stripe uniforms. But you're talking to Wilbur Wood, who's on the phone. Granted, he's a little bit older, probably a lot older, and things are happening. Sox are getting a hit here and a hit there and a run scoring and all these things, kind of things are happening. Just the wrong time to talk to Wilbur Wood. Talking to him, great call. You're going against a knuckleballer. Let's call Wilbur Wood. We'll get him on during the broadcast. Cool. Well, as it turns out, you probably could have had him on during the rain delay if you knew it was going to rain that long. Uh, we did see a lot of beer money, though. Um, but if you're going to have that guy on, have him on when the Sox are in the field, okay, instead of when the White Sox are at the plate. Now, I know you didn't know they are going to score. I know right now it's real easy for me to sit on the couch. But immediately I tweeted, this is one of the difficulties of having in-game interviews. Uh, there was a game a week or so ago when Zach Collins was talking. And while the catcher Zach Collins was talking, James McCann hits one off the wall or hits a home run. Okay? Um, so 
the all of broadcasting is changing. Baseball broadcasting. They're trying to make it more interesting. Black and Abdallah were on earlier today. Black has had some great ideas about baseball broadcasts. You've got so much room on the screen. Put other stats on the side. You see now when a guy hits a home run, they'll show the replay and they'll put uh, launch angle and how fast the ball went out. You can put stats up like that on both sides of the screen during the game. We've got ADD. Everybody does. We can we can we can absorb all this stuff and uh, make the interesting the broadcast even more interesting. But again, you don't need, people used to criticize Hawk Harrelson. Well, Hawk didn't say where the ball went. Well, it's TV. We saw the ball it was a fly ball to right field that was caught and the White Sox lost. Why do we have to hear Hawk say it? Okay? Games are changing, broadcasting is changing. You're going to have to roll with the punches. Tonight in the broadcast, who is who is Arod going to be talking to tonight? Is he going to be talking to one of the Nationals? Maybe Anthony Rendon? He's already talked to Chris Bryant in the past. He's already talked to Javi Baez. Something like that's going to happen in tomorrow morning. And during the game tonight, you'll see people tweeting, I hate this broadcast. Things change. And if anybody can deal with it, if I can deal with it, you guys should be able to deal with it. We come back. A couple other things to close the show. Fred Hubner with you. 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. As we wrap things up, uh, Jason Stark, formerly of ESPN, now with The Athletic. Great article on the electronic strike zone coming to the Atlantic League. Uh, the first step, the bold adventure scheduled. Uh, for this past week, uh, they're working on the new technology and everything else. So uh, they will be calling balls and strikes with the electronic uh, strike zone. I cannot wait for that to happen. I cannot wait for that to come to the major leagues. That will be fun. Then we'll see strikes that are actually strikes. And pitch framing will leave the game. Thank goodness. Because right now, oh, he's a good pitch framer, which basically just means he cheats really well. Um when the Chicago Fire win, I usually like to sit here and talk about the Fire game and discuss things. Yesterday, the Fire were at San Jose and lost four to nothing. Chris Wondolowski scored four goals. He needed one goal to tie Landon Donovan for the most goals in MLS history. He did that. Then he scored three more. He has 148 goals. Chris Wondolowski, a guy that has played very, very well in Major League Soccer. Congratulations to him. The Fire lose. They were without Bastian Schweinsteiger, without Nico Gaetan. Uh, they are at home next Saturday against uh, NYCFC, a 2.30 game at SeatGeek Stadium. The only thing that Schweinsteiger was happy about yesterday, no doubt he toasted, his former team, Bayern Munich, uh, they win their seventh straight Bundesliga title with an easy win yesterday. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Thanks to Jesse Rogers, Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline, Sean Davis for all of us helping you for listening here on ESPN 1000.